Hi, and welcome to the Seek Sustainable Japan podcast. I'm JJ Walsh, your host here in Hiroshima, Japan. And in this episode, I'm talking with Amy Lang Kawamura. She's a longtime resident of Fukushima City. She's a mother, a wife, a blogger, and an author of children's books. Amy and her family lived in Fukushima City five years before and now 10 years after the earthquake, tsunami, and nuclear power plant disaster of 2011. I think Amy's perspective is really interesting and important for us to hear for people outside of the area to hear what it's like for her as someone who chooses to live and continue to live in Fukushima. And about her travels up and down the coast and some of the sightseeing that she loves to do in the area. It really does bring more appeal and understanding to the area. I'm JJ Walsh, your host in Hiroshima, Japan, and today I am connecting with Amy Lang Kaomura, who is based in Fukushima, in Tohoku, in Japan. Thank you so much for joining, Amy. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you so much. So, we connected via Twitter, as many of us good people do who have been on the show. It's amazing. And you mentioned that you were listening to the podcast when I talked to、uh, Jess Hollums in the Tohoku area talking about tourism,、uh, Jean Nakata, who was talking about her experience in Fukushima. And Angela Ortiz and her father talking about their experience after the Tohoku disaster. And I really wanted to connect with you, Amy, and hear your story because everybody who lives there or is still living in Fukushima, you have such an important story to keep reminding us、uh, what has happened and what continues to happen to people who are living in that area. And I really enjoyed reading through your blog.、Uh, tell, us, tell us a little bit about starting the blog because I think that was kind of the first way for you to share with the public what was happening with you. Is that right? Right, right. Well, it's a blog that I started. It's focused on telling about Fukushima to children, to kids, not necessarily small, small children. But, you know, elementary school age children, and maybe junior high school children, maybe high school students. Because at that time, I think it might have changed since then.、Um, at that time, there wasn't very much for children to learn from.、Um, there were a few nonfiction books, but not very much. And one of my fears was that children. Curious because I've heard these words, Chernobyl, Fukushima. I was afraid that they would go online and see pictures of related fish or something like that. And a lot of the pictures that are floating around, if I mean, I've done this before, if you actually check their sources, like they might have been, the photo might have been taken before 2011. So, I mean, a lot of it's not necessarily true, or it might be true, or it might not be true. You have to be careful with things that are online. So, I was afraid that children would go online. And learn from sources online, and they wouldn't necessarily be accurate. So, I wanted, as a mom myself and a teacher, 
I wanted a place that would be like kin friendly and also accurate and unbiased. I try to be unbiased anyway. I mean, I know I can't be unbiased, but I try to be. And I try to be accurate. I try at least. And it's all kid friendly, meaning um, I try to explain it simply and in a non-scary sort of way. And the focus is on Fukushima, I, I hope. Actually, that's that's Yamagata because that's my uh, parents and <laughs> no, I love it how it's it's not it's not just about the disaster. It's about a real person writing for, about life in Fukushima. And I, I think that is so it's so nice and refreshing. It's not. And you do talk about the news. You do talk about uh, you have a lot of links to local news reports, uh, videos of the official information coming down. There was big problems with misinformation, uh, lots of frustration for people living in Fukushima. But you also uh, show images of you teaching and sharing children's books uh, with local schools, uh, talking about local festivals. I love this one with the dog dressed up. Yeah. With the, even the dog has a little fan in its back. You know, it's awesome. And you are just such an avid reader. So you uh, donate books to libraries and schools, but you're also avidly reading books that were written about Fukushima. And I think that's that's a really interesting insight we're not hearing a lot about. Well, I think I may, I may myself learn through books. So I really enjoy books. I love books. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I love books. So um, yeah, I, I want, I want to share my love of books with children. And so I'm a, I was, I was, and then this stopped recently due to the coronavirus. I was a library volunteer. So I would go to the local elementary school and help with library, like um, finding books and things like that. And as far as like the disaster goes, I mean, the thing is Fukushima, I guess no matter probably where we live in Fukushima, it's really just a place where people live. And, um, I mean, you live in Hiroshima City, right? So, I mean, it's not like disaster. It's, it's a place where people live with its own culture. So I think most people here just live life. But of course, for many people, their lives were affected. I don't want to give the impression that people's lives weren't affected because they were. But life goes on. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that, that you often uh, bring up on your blog, which I think is really important to remember, is uh, I don't, you wrote this on your blog, by the way, I don't have to worry about TEPCO reading my blog <laughs> and turning off my home's electricity <laughs> as payback for saying mean things about them. I don't live in the Tokyo area, thus TEPCO doesn't provide my electricity, Fukushima City is in Tohoku and we get our electricity from Tohoku's electric company. I think this was one of the, you know, like the, the whole reference of the Fukushima disaster is a real big problem for people who live in Fukushima because you know it's not the Fukushima disaster, right? It's the nuclear power plant was in Fukushima, but it's a very big place and it's very beautiful and you don't have your electricity even from TEPCO. It's really crazy. Like I think 
That's very counterintuitive, right? Um, well, Jane Nakata mentioned this, that unfortunately the name Fukushima has gotten intertwined with the, the nuclear power plant. And so when I read foreign, meaning American, usually for me, American in English, a lot of times Fukushima is the go-to word for the whole disaster or for the nuclear part of the disaster. Um, and when people use Fukushima like as a, as a word for the disaster, so after the Fukushima, after Fukushima hit, you know, blah, 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 it tells me that the person, number one, doesn't really know that much. And number two, doesn't really care about Fukushima because Fukushima is a place, it's not a disaster. It's a place where a disaster occurred, which is different than being a disaster. Um, so it's been really unfortunate that our name, the Fukushima name, which before the disaster was synonymous with um, healthy living and fresh air and clean water, it's only got twisted into um, synonymous with disaster and radiation and mutilated fish and and so that did happen. I mean, there was a disaster and it was in Fukushima, but it was out of Fukushima's control because Fukushima doesn't own the nuclear power plant. It's owned by Tokyo Electric Power Company. So, you know, yeah, it's a very difficult subject. It is. It's really hard. And um, the BBC just did a really great uh, report last year on the 10-year anniversary since the disaster, the Great East Japan disaster, I think is the official yes, name. Yes, right? Great and I, Great I, Japan disaster. Yeah, and I think they did a really good job uh, talking about uh, what happened, uh, what were the warning signs, uh, what was the aftermath, what is what is currently happening but i think as sometimes maybe as an outside uh journalist it's it might be easier in a way to give more of a clear view and you you have translated a lot of news reports and things uh one of the main underlying frustrations for local people is the lack of information and the lack of clarity not only from the media but from local governments too right um, I was looking, uh, you know, there's been trials. I don't know how much people, I don't even follow them completely. I mean, but there are trials, people suing, people of Fukushima suing TEPCO. So when you read their um, banners that they hold out when they're protesting during a trial or waiting for the results of a trial, in Japanese, um, you do, like, whose fault is it? It's not, not Fukushima's fault. Like, they're saying the banner is um, that Tucker needs to take responsibility. He needs to step up and take responsibility. I don't think that's, it's, it hasn't been happening. Um, in my opinion. And I think a lot of people, I don't speak for everybody in Fukushima, so I want to get that right out of the way. I don't speak for everybody here at all, zero. But I think a lot of people in Fukushima, well, first of all, people in Fukushima probably see things differently than people outside of Fukushima. And, and I think one thing that people in Fukushima do feel is that like does need to take more responsibility. Uh, oh my gosh, my house. Oh, my house. 
and the need to take more responsibility and own up to the fact that it was them that caused it and they didn't cause it intentionally and it was through negligence but it was their nuclear power plant because basically the news media and tepco itself is just letting people think oh it was fukushima so i feel like history is changing and that 30 years from now it's just going to be called fukushima 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 if people don't understand the link between a nuclear power plant and the huge city that it serves, they're not going to understand how much electricity that a nuclear power plant can produce. That's what's great about a nuclear power plant, it produces so much electricity. But that electricity at Fukushima Daiichi was not for the people of Fukushima. There are only 2 million people here. That's like less, I think, Kansas, I think. 2 million people in Fukushima Prefecture. So that Daiichi with its six reactors, and they were going to be more built. In 2011, they were planning to build more reactors there. They weren't going to make it bigger. And so it was not serving the people of Fukushima. It was serving the people of Tokyo region. And when I say Tokyo region, I don't only mean Tokyo. I mean, like, I lived in Chiba. It served Chiba. It served Yokohama. It served what, Kanagawa. Um, all those areas. So, so, and that's an immense population. It's huge. So I want people to understand like an immense population has an immense need for electricity, right? That's why they have nuclear power plants. And so that wasn't our power plant because we've only got 2 million people here. So... It's unfair to put it on Fukushima, the blame, and make Fukushima. I don't think people do it intentionally, exactly, but still the end result is that Fukushima is a scapegoat. And Fukushima people, the local area people, are are definitely having the biggest burden. Uh, they're, they're saying now that uh, the cleanup, the decontamination and the cleanup and the storage of all the waste won't be complete until 2050 and then the radiation levels are going to continue way beyond that and you've you've talked about irradiated water uh getting the water released and all the the plans there um definitely you know like it's it's just i think a lot of people don't understand it's it's where you live so a lot of people want to live there it's where their houses are where their communities are, where their work is, where their families are. It's not, and it is a big enough area where you don't have to live somewhere where it's dangerous or having ongoing radiation, but still being a resident there, you are bearing the, the biggest burden of the recovery for a long time into the future even, right? What's, the nuclear power plant sounds like a mess to me. I mean. Oh my gosh, it's gonna be it's gonna take forever to forever to clean it up. And I'm also like, will it get cleaned up? Will it? I mean, nobody knows the future. Is it going to get cleaned up? I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, we'll find out in 50 years or 100 years if it ever does get cleaned up. I'm really worried about the water, and I don't call it Fukushima water ever because it's not Fukushima water. It's the, the water at the nuclear power plant, Fukushima Daiichi, 
that's not Fukushima water because the water that I drink is, well, I'll show you right now. <laughs> this is Fukushima water, you know, this is our water that we drink. It's not our drinking water, it's, it's at the plant. So I'm really worried about that. And I know the fisher people, the fishermen, women, I think they're mostly men though. Um, I don't know how many of them are really worried about the fish or if they're worried about uh, the reputation or if it's a both, both. But um, it's not fair to the people who do fishing for a living, you know, because even if the fish are okay, which I don't know if they are or not, I mean, I don't know. But even if they were okay, then still the reputation, just the idea of the reputation of Fukushima just plummeting. It's just so sad. It's really sad. Yeah. A lot of people lost their living, their way of living, right? And uh, all the, you know, that it wasn't only the physical disaster of boats being damaged or harbors being damaged. It's much longer effect uh, when you're talking about radiation or even the perception of radiation. The stigma is as powerful as the reality. I know that uh, Fukushima invested a lot of money and time in testing the food and testing the fish uh, before it was exported. But but even so, we, we know in Hiroshima as well, um, the stigma of being from Hiroshima, the stigma of being from Fukushima is much longer, even generations longer um, than the actual problem perhaps, right? What was the reputation of Hiroshima before 1945? Yeah, it's a very industrial area. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, like a, a lot of entrepreneurship, you know, I mean, there still is. They've gone back. The resilience has gone back. But I, whenever I, I think about what's happened to the people in Fukushima, and how we did get some new residents, we did get new kids in the school who were from Tokyo after the Tohoku disaster. And we thought probably they're not from Tokyo, um, but it's important for them to say Tokyo because we don't want them to be discriminated against from the other kids or from the other families, right? That's not fair. So even yeah. in Hiroshima, you know, we still, People are, I guess, humans. That's just natural human trying to distance yourself from other people's problems, right? I have two things to say about that. First, well, the second point you made about them saying, I didn't realize that they were saying that they were from Tokyo. When we went to Yamagata, everybody knew we were from Fukushima. But in one of my manuscripts uh, that I wrote for kids, um, she goes, her dad's American, so she goes to live in America. And her dad says to her, don't tell people you're from Fukushima. So she's like, okay, okay, I won't tell people. She's like, why not? You know, right? Because it's supposed to be right after that earthquake. And uh, so she, she goes to the school and she they say, where are you from? She says, well, I'm from Liechtenstein. And <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious because it's like, um, I just thought it was funny. to like Instead of saying you're from Fukushima, to say you're from Liechtenstein. But the first point when i asked you about uh, the reputation the reason why i was asking you that is because the reputation of fukushima before 2011 is a place was a place of clean air i mean when i would lived in shiba and i told the people there that i would move to fukushima they said to me oh it's a wonderful place 
to raise a family. And this was in 2006. Okay. They said, it's a wonderful place to raise a family. And I had a son and I said, well, why? I mean, cause I didn't know anything. And they said, because it has clean air, clean water, delicious fruits and vegetables. The food is so delicious. It's just so like pristine the nature. It's just so nature, you know, Tohoku's image is of nature. So I was like, yay. <laughs> so then I get here and I'm living my life in Fukushima. And then the nuclear meltdowns happened. So that just completely reversed the reality. First of all, it's no longer pristine, right? It isn't pristine anymore. But then also the, the reputation is no longer pristine. It's just, it's like to have that taken away from an area. It's just really sad. Yeah. Uh, we've had a, a few comments. Mina on Facebook says, uh, once something something disaster happens in Japan, it always reminds Japanese people as a we have long been a place of disasters, natural disasters. Mm -hmm. um, Taha and Z have joined from YouTube. Great to have you guys joining us live. Um, please feel free to add questions or comments along the way. Amy is a long time based in Fukushima. Um, Amy, you yeah, only since 2006. I feel like maybe yeah. Mina. Mina's Japanese, so yeah, I understand that. As an American, you know, my husband's from Tohoku, so yeah. I mean, what she says is totally true. Totally true. Like, no, we we have that in Hiroshima area too, right? We often have uh, landslides in the area, and um, but this this is important to talk about. I think in terms of what happened at the Daiichi power plant the um, barriers in the water were set up to block any waves up to six meters, right? And they had, the tsunami was over 17 meters. So those precautions didn't help. There uh, were whistleblowers. There were, they had received advice to make the, in 2008, it was 2008, the, I think, 2008, it was before the, the disaster. They received advice to make the the barriers, the seawalls higher, all right? And so they didn't take that advice. Yeah. And it's, But that's the problem with, with nuclear power in general, right? You, It's fine and clean until there's a problem. And uh, that BBC uh, documentary did a really good job talking about uh, when Chernobyl happened Japan had already by that time adopted nuclear power and a lot of warning uh, signs went out around the world saying you really need to think about what would happen if there were a natural disaster like an earthquake. And there were warning signs before it happened. And so, you know, you can't, it's easier to look back and say we should have done that. Yeah, that's fine. For, for me, it's about going forward how can we think about energy going forward which is more sustainable which is gonna be something that we we don't mind living next to you know that if there is a natural disaster it's not gonna destroy where we live right and these are things worth thinking about for future energy considerations yeah i mean it's, i think about it a lot I don't know what the answers are. I just don't. I just don't know. I mean, uh, one thing I've, I'd seen it here in Fukushima city. There are a lot of solar panels, a lot of solar panels. 
And then I've been going train station by train station along the coast. I started at Shinshi and I'm now down to like um, Hadano, Hadan, I always forget the name, Hadamachi part of Minami Soma City. So I've, I'm about halfway through, well, maybe not quite halfway through. But one thing I really noticed is so many solar panels, so many solar panels, so many. And I know they were not there before. Uh, I think basically, Fukushima has said no way, Jose, to um, nuclear power from now on. It's like we're going to be green energy. And when we say green, we mean like something that won't kill us if there's a disaster. It won't hurt the environment so much, so much. But um, so basically what happened was I went to Shinchi and they had a beach nearby. And I went to train station to train station. So I, w I went to the beach. And if you look on like Google Maps, you can see... There are so many solar panels in the area that used to be um, inhabited by people, but now cannot be inhabited by people because it's a tsunami zone, tsunami zone. So people don't want to live there anymore because we know what happened in 2011. So if you move back in and there's another huge tsunami, well, so instead of people there, there are so many solar panels. I was surprised it's just all along the coast of Fukushima mainly i think in the area that can no longer be lived in by humans yeah i think um it's it's worth pointing out mina is now talking about there is no future energy good solution and solar panels also contain toxic metal oh, yeah i think That's we we have to but we have to look at scale and we have to look at uh yes nothing is perfect solar panels are not perfect wind energy is not perfect but in terms of having a disaster, a solar panel destroying in the area is not going to make it unlivable, is not going to create stigma for everybody who lives there. Is We know how to deal and decommission with solar panels. We don't know what to do with nuclear waste. We still don't. There is no solution for nuclear waste. Uh, it's piling up. And uh, it lasts much longer than 30 years. I think... We have solutions now. We know what the solutions are. We just need to make better choices and to have the information. And the problem, I think, with the Fukushima uh, disaster and the, the power plant disaster, one of the big problems is the lack of clarity of information. And a lot of the policymakers seemed compromised by influences between government and the electric companies. So that was maybe a problem why the information wasn't very clear coming out about what was happening until later. And I think even now it's very hard to get clear information about what's happening even now. Is it is that how you feel as a local resident? Is it kind um, of unclear still? I don't really pay attention to what's going on over there. I mean, <laughs> I mean, as long as I don't, no news is bad news, right? I mean, no news, wait, no news is good news. No news is good news, right? I mean, yesterday I was like watching the TV. There's a missile going, oh, Morty. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, actually, I think I do do a lot of research. I do a lot of research to find out things. Can I talk to Mina directly? Like, yeah, um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I think she is maybe pro um, nuclear, possibly. It and sounds you like know what? It. I want to say to people out there, 
If you are pro-nuclear, that is fine. If you're anti-nuclear, that's fine. It's like, I'm not trying. I actually think both sides of the argument are very important. I have gotten so much help from people who are pro-nuclear. I've got so much help because there's so many of the people are so knowledgeable. And um, I feel the argument, the debate is important. I feel that there should be a back and forth. There should be a back and forth. There should be a debate because once we don't have a debate anymore, just one side wins, then that's really bad because I want people to discuss about nuclear. I don't want, I, I want discussion. But for me personally, I'm not trying to talk about anti or pro-nuclear or even anti-solar panel or pro-solar panel. What I'm trying to talk about is pro-Fukushima, pro-Fukushima, which is not, which is just pro-Fukushima. <laughs> and as she says, Fukushima hasn't been known much even by Japanese by the disaster. Um, <laughs> I mean, she's Japanese, but I don't know. I mean, I think everybody knows in Japan knows where Fukushima is, right? I, I heard, I traveled around that area before 2011. Uh, most people would recommend it to me when we were doing backpacking and cycling around. It was famous for what you said, Amy, for being natural beauty and pristine water and clean air. I, th I think you're right. That was the reputation, definitely, before. And um, what you said about it being clean energy, uh, becoming a clean energy hub, this is something the BBC was talking about at the end of their video, which I'll, I'll link below about um, Fukushima before, during, and after, and uh, saying how what you said as well, Amy, that it it provides a lot of energy um, to a nuclear Tokyo. Power plant. And oh, yeah, they provide a lot. So making it a clean energy hub, I think, has been one of the, the key points um, in its redevelopment. Um, because it's difficult for people to move back there and live there safely, why not make it a clean energy hub that provides clean energy to big cities around Japan? It's it's not a bad way forward. It sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I think Fukushima in general, people here are just over it when it comes to nuclear. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah everybody thinks the same way, but yeah. that's my feeling. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that I really like about your blog, and I, I hope that you do write your book and you have these stories about real life in Fukushima. Uh, you were talking about making kokeshi dolls, famous from the Tohoku region, and then you found a book about kokeshi dolls from Fukushima, and uh, you and your son were doing a workshop, and then I think it was the Kokeshi doll book that you donated to the local school, right? I was so happy to do that. I just love the kids here. Oh, I just love them so much. The little kids of Fukushima. And, you know, the kids of 2011 are now adults. They're my son's age. So, yeah, they're such great, they're such, uh, great kids. They're, I mean, kids everywhere are great, though, you know? Well, let's, but, let's talk about that a little bit because you said your son just went to university. Uh, what's what's his what's his feeling about growing up in Fukushima? Oh, I don't think he thinks anything. You know, we don't have heartfelt conversations. 
I mean, this is just his life. This was just his life. He, he okay. Well, he was born in the United States. Um, we he doesn't remember Chiba, but until the age of three, he lived in Chiba. His dad is from Tohoku, but from Yamagata. So, I mean, we're like a Tohoku family, you know. And so then, and when he, my son was three in two thousand six, we moved to Fukushima City. So other than visiting his grandparents in Yamagata and visiting my parents in America, Fukushima is all he knows. And I, he was only in second grade when the uh, East Japan disaster hit. So I feel like he's lived with it all his life. Just, you know, like it's just part of his life. I feel like there's a lot of similarity, similarities between this pandemic and what happened to Fukushima in 2011. So I feel like also Fukushima kids are getting it twice, you know, but yeah, he doesn't really say much. Has he ever talked about any bias? Like now he's in university in another area. Has oh, he's he in university. I have no idea. I don't even know if he's got a girlfriend or a boyfriend or what, you know, I don't even know any of that stuff. But no, he wouldn't tell me. Um, how about you? But, like when when you talk to people and you say I'm from Fukushima, have you? Okay, well, be, okay. Before 2011, like if I went back to the United States, and like my uncle, my uncle Tom is really funny, and he's like, "Where are you from again?" And I'd say, oh, "Fukushima." He said, "Can you repeat that, Fukushima?" He's like, "Gesundheit," because you know, he doesn't. He's never heard that word before. It means nothing. This was before 2011. It meant nothing to him. It was like it's just gobbledygook. And, you know, if I think about other countries, I can't tell you the parts of different countries. So he doesn't know the parts of, dif of different parts of Japan. But then in 2011, Fukushima just really came on the map. Like, everybody heard about it. And it was really weird. And, like, I don't tell people I, I live in Fukushima, though. I mean, it just... I don't even know what people's images of Fukushima, you know, in the United States. Because I don't live there anymore. I'm in Fukushima so much, but I do want, I do know what people read because I read it too. I do want kids to grow up knowing accurate information. I want them to have accurate information. Yeah. Uh, will you, on your blog and on your now, I think more updated is your Twitter feed and you're often sharing information about uh, sites in the area and famous historical things or heritage. I think that's that's really important to keep reminding people like Fukushima peaches are amazing and uh, Fukushima has this great legacy of uh, shooting archery on horseback and uh, their Kokeshi dolls like you said before and there's there's so much beautiful nature and great history and heritage, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All of Japan, don't you think so? Like, yeah. every part of Japan that you go to, it's amazing. I mean, don't you think so? Like, just each individual section. And Tohoku, all of Tohoku, it's also really amazing. Like, any place you go, they have their own little culture. And so, yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the interesting things about uh, Japan is that each area has their own culture and Tohoku has their own little languages, their own little dialects. It's called Zuzubin, 
Do you know what Zuzu Bin is? I've heard of it. Have you? Have you? Well, yeah. see, um, it's not supposed to be a very nice way to describe Tohoku dialects, but Tohoku dialects, because there's so many mountains traditionally, um, one dialect might be different from another dialect. And the dialects of Tohoku are like really strange for people in Tokyo, I think. So it's called Zuzu Bin because it's like, I don't understand that. <laughs> I think a lot of the dialects are dying out. But, um, but anyway, yeah. So like I, I have this as a kokeshi. I love Fukushima. These are weeble wobble type things. They fall. If like you push them over, they won't fall down. So it's supposed to show like, um, you know, what's the word? Stamina. Like even in trouble, you'll get back up again. Fall down seven times, get back up eight kind of thing. I can't do it. You know what? You can see it. You get the idea. And here's a here's one version of a kokeshi. They're usually red, but not a kokeshi. I'm sorry, akabeko. This is from the Aiza area, and this is also from the Aiza area. And his little head goes up and down. And there's another one. They're usually red. Usually red. His head goes up and down. And um. The Kogeshi back there from Fukushima. You have a senator, don't you, from Hawaii who was born in Fukushima? Yeah. Maisie Hirono. Yeah, Kordi Town. So I went up to Kordi Town, which is right next to me. It's just slightly north of Fukushima City, just like one or two train stops away. So I was like, I have to go to the place where Maisie Hirono was born. <laughs> so I went there and I took photos. And it's really rural. It's really rural. I was talking to a man. I was like, I'm here because Maisie Hirono. I don't think I called her that. I think this, the Hawaii senator, senator was born here. He said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's famous. That's famous. And so the Kokeshi back there, um, the smaller ones are from that area. From where Senator Maisie Hirono, senator, was born. Yeah, so, so lots of different crafts. Well, there's, you know, because thanks to you and you sharing all these great places to see and great things to do in Fukushima, it's not just about recovering from the nuclear disaster. It's, it's still a very vibrant, a many vibrant communities around there and lots of great things to see and beautiful places to visit. Um, and, you know, when I see your blog, when I see your posts about the libraries, about um, Halloween, you get all dressed up for Halloween. This was hilarious. And oh, yeah, bringing, I was Hanukkah the toilet monster. <laughs> bringing, bringing American culture to your local school kids is so fun. And then I love this visit you did to Kamioka House. That That's was a nice really area. Beautiful. That's a nice place. And you know, when I was there, they said a lot of the Kamioka descendants moved to America. And so they're in California now. So if your last name is Kamioka. You might be from Fukushima. <laughs> Kame is turtle. Kame is turtle. But yeah, I, I really appreciate um, all the information you guys are sharing. So it's not, it's not just about bad news, right? It's, it is a lot of people enjoying living there and having vibrant lives. Uh, Kyle says, 
Uh, thanks, joining me for finding the best of life and opportunities for improvement. Thanks, Kyle. It's great to have you here. So Amy, talk a little bit more about uh, what your, your outreach kind of philosophy is for communicating Fukushima to kids and kids' education? Well, um, my goal is, well, here kids in Fukushima, we are, the kids here already know. I mean, they live in Fukushima. So um, I've written stories, books, books. They're like 30,000, 40,000 words long, which is the size of a middle grade book for like uh, 12 year olds. And I've written a few books and I've revised them and I've queried them and hopefully fingers crossed someday, <laughs> someday, um, hopefully. I mean, now there are a lot more books out there than they used to be. So that's good um, for kids. There's a lot more because I think that if kids hear about things like nuclear meltdowns, if they hear the word Chernobyl and they hear the word Fukushima, they're going to have so many questions. And I, I just, I, I don't want to present it as a horror story. As, and I also don't want to present it as fiction either because it really did happen. It's not a horror story. It's a very sad story. It's not a horror story. Well, I mean, some people might consider it a horror story, but it's not like a horror story that's entertainment. You know what I mean? Like you go to the movies and you eat your popcorn and you watch a horror movie and it's fiction. It's not that. It's a horror story that really happened and it's very sad. Both the meltdowns, meltdown in Chernobyl area in the Ukraine and the meltdowns here in Fukushima. Um, so I don't want them presented as entertainment and I want kids to learn and to embrace the communities because it's, it's not only with nuclear meltdowns. Anytime there's a, an earthquake in a country, we want to learn about the people not just, oh, there was a terrible earthquake in that country, but we want to learn about the people that were affected by the earthquake or the typhoon or the whatever it is. Yeah, that's very similar to why we want people to come and spend time in the Fukushima area, to come and spend time in the Hiroshima area. We don't want them to just come and take a picture of Abam Dome and see the horrors of the past and leave. We don't want them to go to the Radiation Museum and just take pictures of disaster and leave. We want them to spend time there, engage with local people and to connect with how people are living there, how they are dealing with past disaster and finding ways to move on, right? Um, I think there's a lot of history. I don't, I don't know, but I actually do not know very much about Kansai. You're in Kansai, right? Is that Kansai? Chugoku. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chugoku. Chugoku. I don't know much about Chugoku and Chubu and Kinki and Kansai. I don't know much about any of that. Um, but Tohoku, um, what was I going to say? I forgot what I was going to say. But, um, what was I going to say? Like, totally. about, I don't know much about yeah. Hiroshima, but as far as Fukushima goes, oh, I remember there was, there's so much history. There's so much history. And if you don't understand the history behind certain things, you might not enjoy it as much. And, um, 
there's a lot of history in Japan, don't you think? Like a person who's from America might go to a place and take a picture, move on. But if you know the history, it means a lot more. I'm not talking about only with disasters. I'm talking about like with everything, like virtually everything here is historical, you know, like that the horse festival. That's absolutely true. Um, I, I do a lot of tourism consulting and, and do tours myself. And if you can tell people not only that pretty symbol on the roof tile of the temple, it's not just a pretty symbol, it relates to a family and that family, um, they were ruling this area. And they're also the ones who made that garden that we just saw. If you can make connections for people because of your a little bit deeper understanding of history or things that have happened, definitely helps them enjoy it more and appreciate it more and connect to the local people better, right? Yeah, uh, I think that my, before the earthquake, we actually didn't get a lot of foreign tourists in Tohoku. I think we, I, I know we did because I looked at, uh, I looked at charts. So it actually went up after and then down. Jess, Jess was saying, Jess Helen, she was saying Tohoku region has notoriously had the lowest number of the international visitors for many years, even before 2011. Yeah, but we but we did have a lot of tourism. And the reason why we had a lot of tourism was because it was from other Japanese people. And the Japanese people, you know, they know the history and it's not so far away for them. I mean, to go from America to Japan is really far, but to go from Tokyo or from Osaka to Tohoku is not so far. And they, they learn the history in school or they can read a book about it. And it means so much more. And considering most people will come to Japan via Tokyo, it's so easy to get to the Tohoku area by train, really fast train, right up there. It's only about two hours away, right? Yeah. Or you can take the Joban line on the coast, which is a slow train, but it's very leisurely. Um must yeah, be beautiful. all these different, uh, it's like a choose your own adventure book. It's like this way or that way or that way. And almost every place in Japan is safe. I don't want to say you shouldn't take care because you should take care, be careful. But I feel like I've never been, I've never felt unsafe just kind of wandering around Tohoku. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other favorite areas you would recommend to visitors? Uh, we talked we around your Fukushima area. So we... You've got so many uh, beautiful photos of local sites that you've seen, lots of libraries. And you mentioned how libraries were so important um, because a lot of kids couldn't play outside uh, in 2011, right? So the libraries became even more important then. Right, right. Um, well, we couldn't play outside. It was kind of the opposite of COVID. We couldn't go outside for a while the kids couldn't play outside. The kids had to play inside. But then with COVID, you're supposed to go outside, you know, because it's the outside. But um, if somebody's coming to visit Fukushima City, um, I have, this is um, Mount Azuma. We have a lot of mountains. We have a lot of mountains around us. Here's Shinobu Mountain. Shinobu. And so um, one of the attractions of Fukushima City, and I think all of Tohoku, are the mountains and the hot springs. 
So you can go to a hot spring, which is what people in Japan usually do. And um, you can go to the Aiza area. The Aiza area was the first place in Fukushima that I ever visited because I was on the jet program in Chiba. And the school trip was to the Aiza area. And I have um, a bag here. So this is Fukushima. Tokyo is down here. Chiba is down here. So this is the Aiza area. This is where I live, Fukushima area. And this is the coast. This is the coast. So Fukushima is divided into three sections. The coastal area, the coastal area, and then the middle area, and then the Isa area. And the reason why they're divided into three sections is because mountains are between each section. So nowadays it's not such a big deal, you know, because we have buses and train. Uh, no, we have, actually trains don't go, but we have buses, right? So nowadays you can drive a car over the mountains or through tunnels, but traditionally people couldn't go from one side of the mountain to the other. So things tended to go north and south rather than east and west. So each area is different. And so probably um, the most historical part of Fukushima is Aiza region. And that's where I went when I was uh, working at a school because their school trip was to Aiza. So that was back in 1996 or something, seven, 1978, 1998. And so schools in the Tokyo region would go to Aizu and look at the beauty, the Mount Bondi. And Mount Bondi is a volcano. So we went to the top of the volcano and there are, there are um, lakes and you can make crafts. You know, you can make crafts, things like that. So, yeah. And... I don't know. <laughs> so what was the question? Like places that are not, I mean, any place in Tokyo is nice, really. I don't really think there's any place that's not nice. Yeah. I, I've been, I haven't been to Fukushima uh, for a while, not, not since 2011, but I really would love to go and explore that area and also go along the MCT, the new Michinoku Coastal Trail that they just made yeah. after as part of part of the reju rejuvenation recovery of the area that yeah. looks really beautiful as well yeah you know though every part of Tohoku is beautiful <laughs> I, I think so it's like the other side's beautiful the middle side but yeah that 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 yeah that sounds great it sounds great um yeah and then you must have autumn colors now coming in right i think that well you know this yesterday was hot and it's been hot until yesterday and finally we get our first cool day and it's october 5th i'm like global warming <laughs> we need to figure this stuff out but i think they're just starting to get autumn colors we're probably going to be late this year because of the um the weather but yeah the the autumn colors hot spring hope is known for hot springs do you get Beaches. a lot of snow Beaches. as well in winter um Tohoku, this side gets a lot of snow. As you go, what is that? East, east, this part is much milder. This side is milder than this side. This supposedly, I've seen on the internet that this gets the most amount of snow 
it's not, it's one of the places that gets the most amount of snow in the world. And I almost sort of believe it because this is where my husband's family lives. They get a lot of snow. Oh my gosh, it's a lot. And this part, the weather's milder in winter because of the way the winds go, you know? And um, so, yeah, we get snow in Fukushima City. We're down here. So we don't get as much as like up here. But if you like snow, yeah, the best place for snow is up this side. Yeah, New Zealand. I talked with New Zealander Tim Bunting, who is a Yamabushi, so a mountain monk. He's, he's part of that in the northern, maybe the snowy area of Tohoku. And that was that was fascinating. You're you're right though, Amy. It's like region to region, even across from one coast to the other, the weather is so different and the cultures must be so unique and different in each area too, right? Yeah, because the mountains traditionally separated one area from another. So yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, like yeah. my husband, he's from Yamagata, but he doesn't speak Yamagata dialect. He speaks the dialect of his little section of Yamagata. Like, you think the whole area would be the same dialect, but no, each section has a different dialect. Yeah. Uh, do you think you'll be staying in Fukushima for the rest of your yes. life? Are you a, a long timer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything else that we didn't cover, Amy, that you wanted to mention before we finish? Thank you so much for joining. No, I mean, does anyone have any questions? Looking at the questions. I think they're just comments about how uh, beautiful it sounds. Uh -huh. uh, Mina says her kids complain no one sees snow in Hiroshima. Yeah, we only have the odd winter we might have one day where there's snow on the ground so we don't we don't have much snow here that's for sure we get snow i mean last year we got so much snow oh my gosh yeah uh kyle says he wants to get up to hokkaido and really enjoy the snow that's true um hokkaido i went to a few years ago with my kids they love snowboarding and they just had so much fun so beautiful um, thank you so much, Amy. Thanks for letting us know how how you're doing and how life is in Fukushima and that we should all go and visit. And uh, thank you so much for writing that, that blog and for communicating the reality of life in Fukushima for kids that are interested in yeah, Japan. Yeah, because, you know, kids are our future, man. I don't really care if adults learn because adults are adults, but kids need to learn because they're the ones who are going to be developing the new ideas. They're going to be dealing with the consequences of whatever we do now. So I want them to really know about it, but not in a scary way, because I feel like there's so much fear, scariness out there that I just want to be like friendly because Fukushima is a friendly place. <laughs> well, I, I think you said it before and, and that's such a good point is that we just need to have more open discussions. And we need to be sharing our reality and sharing the news and sharing information and then discussing things from all sides because we are still learning um, the better ways to live our lives, the better ways to make energy, the better ways to have uh, you know, economically viable societies, right? These are all 
big issues that we all need more discussion about. And you're right, Amy, the kids are the future. And for them, there is a lot of information, but it's, it's hard to be discerning about what information is true or accurate and what is not accurate, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I geared mostly. I know Twitter, my Twitter feed is more just rants for adults, like just rants for myself. And, but my blog, I, but you're supposed to be over 13 to be on Twitter. So that's okay. <laughs> my blog is for kids though. And you notice, you notice the difference in tone. And, um, because yeah, I want kids. I'll, I'll add your blog link right here again. Um, there's a, there's a variety of information from uh, going through uh, in 2011, a lot of news information, but a lot of great insights about life and sightseeing and books in the Fukushima area as well, Amy, from your life. So thank you so much for doing that and sharing it with all of us. <laughs> thank you so much. JJ? Yeah. J thank you so much, JJ, for having me here on Inbound Ambassador. Right? I got that right. <laughs> you got it. You got, you got it. it. Inbound Ambassador podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Arigato gozaimashita. So thank you so much. Kochira koso. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing your insights with us. And thank you, everybody, for joining us live. Thank you, Mina. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, all of you. Let's, let's go all visit Amy in Fukushima. Definitely. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks.